You're listening to a podcast from the Media Motel. Coming up this week in episode 567, TikTok humour and practical jokes, Paul O'Grady and the football results, and farewell to Olivia Newton-John and Lamont Dozier. That's all coming up after the radiators from space and television screen. There is a man in a shiny suit, he's saying get them up the streets. And into the school, but he knows what he does. He's got a middle-aged spread, and he could never understand what's going on in my head. I'm gonna get him tonight, I'll teach him a lesson, all right? I'm gonna suck my telecaster to the television screen, cause I don't like what's going down. I'm gonna suck my telecaster to the television screen, cause I don't like what's going down. I got the right! into 1 minute 52 seconds an absolute mm. belting classic from the punky summer of 1977 the radiators from space and television screen not only had i not heard that i'd not heard of that either so i'm very much grateful for you my my friendly non-local operative for introducing me to a punk of yesteryear that was a very bracing start to my day as i made my tea and toast for breakfast i enjoyed that thank you city Thanks for joining us for Parish Council episode 567. I'm Terence Stackham and, well, of course, it's the question everyone is asking. <laughs> oh, <Uh-oh. laughs> has, has the FBI raided her home yet? <laughs> Let's ask Juliet Harris. It's only a matter of time, frankly, but no, they haven't popped in oh. to see to see whatever strange things. I mean, I'm not sure who I would sell secrets to. I live in Hastings. Am I guilty of selling secrets to Bexhill? I don't know. Anyway, hello, everyone. You haven't got any nuclear codes, you know, in the bread bin in your kitchen. You see, kitchen. I, I didn't want to say that because oh. I wasn't sure. I wasn't sure where we got up to in terms yeah. of whether or not that was true. I mean, I haven't got any nuclear codes in the bread bin. I might have nuclear bread because I'm not always great on keeping on top of what's, what's in date and what isn't. So it's quite possible that I'm growing an allotrope in the bread bin as well. <laughs> we speak who's to say now i'm not much of a fan of practical jokes personally i mean the old Mm. custard pie or tying shoelaces together anything that causes distress or possible injury to the object of the practical joke that doesn't feel right to me these days filming such gags or routines in the hope of going viral on tiktok Mm. is a new genre of practical jesting and there are numerous examples of this on tiktok but now the people on the raw end are speaking out that 
There may be an argument that handing someone some flowers or giving a homeless person cash is the very opposite of a practical joke. But I say if you're filming it and racking up 60 million views on TikTok, your motivation is questionable and you're mm. using the victim um, just as much as if you'd poured Gatorade over their head. Mm. Now, now, a woman in Melbourne, um, as reported in the newspapers this week, says she feels dehumanised after having flowers thrust into her hand by some bloke with a massive number of followers on TikTok. Jules, this isn't what he calls a random act of kindness. This is patronising and it's exploitative. I mean, I'm. I mean, initially, I didn't want to agree with you, not because it's you, but just because I, I wanted to believe in something good. But now I'm inclined to agree. I mean, the superstar quote from this Guardian article from Paul Marie, who was given these flowers, mm. or Mari, I think it's pronounced, said, "And haven't we all been here, Sati? I didn't want to carry them home on the tram, to be really quite <laughs> frank. I mean, I just exactly. adore that level of practicality. I mean, they're quite bulky. Yeah, I find this very strange and and very." very odd and I think best summed up that the exploitative thing and the sort of questionable motives apparently she had asked whether she was being filmed and was told no mm. and apparently offered in the flowers back um I assume that none of this turned up in the edited exactly. video on TikTok I'm yeah I'm inclined to agree I just I find this all dep- depressing tedious this kind of Where's this going to end is what I keep up, I keep end up thinking about people that want fame on TikTok. You know, some of the TikTok stuff I've quite enjoyed. The woman that lip synced to a Julia uh, Gillard speech from Australia is the best thing I've ever seen on TikTok. That was absolutely incredible. But I just I find this so odd and sad really that people are willing to do whatever to get this fame and like you say there's something quite irksome about this sort of idea that it's dressed up in a sort of a self in a sort of act of selflessness you know this kind of oh look isn't this a great guy usually is guys in this in this mm-hmm. instance i must admit and it's and it's this kind of sort of performative niceness isn't it really that that's got this kind of thing to it that makes me think oh god so so you know as much and it makes me sad because you know I would like it to be a nice thing I I want people to do nice things I want nice things to be celebrated but inevitably there's there's a level of self-interest in this that makes you think "Mm, this isn't just a nice thing it's someone it's someone trying to be um trying to be famous um and and actually interestingly the statement spokesperson for this guy said the video was designed to spread love and compassion yeah, and you just th- <laughs> i mean yes hop it you uh you little toe rag yeah absolutely mm. i um yeah just sigh really i'm sorry that i don't have much more to say about this it isn't just eye rolling but that's kind of where i am on this i think more and more social media visual channels like tiktok or youtube are used by people um to create comedy sketches or funny clips and Mm. and, and it feels that the tide and as you say some of them are very good it's this yeah exploit strangers that i i don't know yes Um, agreed the, the tide is turning away from the classic 30-minute mainstream television comedy show. Mm. Now, John Lloyd, uh, the producer of Blackadder, Spitting Image, QI, Mm. and dozens of other successful shows, uh, suggested in an interview this week in the Daily Telegraph that, and I'll I'll quote here, there's not enough comedy on television for the health of the country, end of quote. But what would this mean in reality, Jules? More, More Mrs. Brown's boys? 
It's interesting, this, isn't it? And you get the impression. Now, John Lloyd's made some comedy and been behind some comedy that I have really loved. Um, and I just I get the impression I got from this interview and the impression I got from a, get from a lot of not just elder statesmen, but people who have had huge success some time ago in different fields, music included, is why can't things be like it was when I was really successful? I mean, that sounds insulting. I'm no, sorry if John Lloyd exactly is listening to this, but, there, but there's this little kind of, you know, why aren't things good anymore? And it's like, are you really saying why don't things involve me anymore? It might be that he just means this in general, who knows? But yeah, it's, it, I mean, life evolves, doesn't it? Things evolve. The way that we consume things evolves. I mean, it's interesting. There are still new comedies on TV that are successful. There are still new comedies that come back for multiple series motherland has had a lot of success on bbc2 to pull that out of the air um there there seem to be various series that have multiple series um it it depends what kind of comedy you're looking for really um perhaps gone are the days like you say it would seem like the, the 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 stuff that really cuts through is the is the broadness of the Mrs. Brown's boys of of this world. Gavin and Stacey, perhaps a slightly more sophisticated example of that. There seems to be a successful comedy. The kind of comedies I like, Sir T, which is the stuff that you find at random at half ten on BBC Two on a weekday evening that I really like, that are really mm. good. Stuff like The State of the Union, which is, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with this, I would recommend it if you're not, actually. Mm. It's a series, and Nick Hornby was one of the people behind it, I think, um, focusing on a couple who are in marriage guidance counselling and looking at how things got to where they did um the first and it's come back for another series with different people in it and that's got to me the idea that might run and run possibly the first series was chris o'dowd and um rosamund pike and the second series is brendan gleason and patricia clarkson so it's good quality good quality Mm. cast and it's it's worth it's worth a watch i think i'm a huge fan of better better things with um pamela adlin in it which which gets sort of multiple repeats that's an import admittedly but i think that that there is room for all of these things as you say the way that people uh, consume comedy is evolving I think although having said that I think there is still a place for TV comedy having said that write something good then John you know I'll come up with something that's that's good it, and and my feeling is is that lots of the stuff that is being cancelled like Mock the Week has run its course you know mm. we spoke about this the other week you know things can't go on forever can they so so my my feeling is is that is that and also these cycles we've been through these cycles for years on end haven't we i'm sure that in the past we've had these conversations before people have had these conversations before us and then a new crop of comedy comes along doesn't it so so my feeling is is that Yes, it is. I think it is good for us to, as a nation to have stuff that makes us laugh. I know a lot of people, I think that is a good point, actually. I know a lot of people in the pandemic that watched a lot of comedy because it was just sort of escapism. But but having said that, well, in which case, then let's write stuff that is good. You know, let's write new stuff. There's always room for new, innovative things. The excellent Back to Life that Daisy Haggard created, there's always room for stuff that is that that does something new i think yeah i mean perhaps many newer writers are finding out how difficult it is to pace a mm. 30 minute comedy tv show short sharp sketches now seem to appear on facebook and youtube yes. or tiktok in particular but perhaps i think just thinking about what you were saying about gavin and stacy and so on perhaps it's telling that away from the Mrs. Brown knockabout style of TV comedy, the shows that 
that resonate and stay with us, have an element of um, pathos, like yes. Stacey, um, sort of slow, warm comedy, like perhaps detectorists. Yes, um, very much that. so. Do you remember that lovely um, Raised by Wolves by Caitlin Moran yes. a few years ago? I could never understand Wasn't why, was it? Why, they couldn't, why they couldn't get um, another series of that, because, another third series, because it was brilliant. Yeah, I agree. That's right. And, you know, as we say, Gavin and Stacey, they have a glow, a warmth, and I'd say we need more of those and yes. less Mrs. Brown. Thank you very much. I but, very much agree. I mean, look at Derry Girls, the enormous success mm. of Derry Girls, which was brilliant and had something important to say and I think that's a really good point this idea of things being a bit more serious at State of the Union which I've just talked about is a, mm. is a perfect example of that the comedy drama seems to be the, the the space or or the sort of deeper comedy is the space of where we are at the moment and I think that that in part is perhaps due to where we've been during the last two years Terence as well mm. do people really you know it's changed a lot of people what we've been through and what we're still going through do we re- if we're going to go into this winter of you know really difficult you know it's just, just going to be really hard isn't it I don't know how else yeah, to put it it's it, going to be really be hard mm. and and you know for, for everyone but particularly for, for for people that aren't so well off and it's it's going to be appalling and part of me thinks well Part, part of me thinks, well, won't it be good to have something escapist? Maybe I could understand. I never understand why anybody enjoys Mrs. Brown's Boys. I just don't get it. But maybe some people want the escapism of that. But equally, is it going to be possible to suspend disbelief that far? And are we going to need things and want things that are more reflective of our lives, of the nuance of our lives, rather than necessarily just this kind of panto stuff? It'd be interesting to see what happens. I agree with you, as you know, but of course there will be people shouting at their mm. audio device now saying that Mrs. Brown's Boys is often voted the best comedy yes. show in many parts. I and know. Maybe it's and, you and, and me, you know. Yeah, well, well, exactly. I'm, I'm more than willing to take responsibility for being weird <laughs> in this respect. I just don't get it. I'm sorry. Coming next, the BBC drops a national institution. Mm, now this I am cross about. That's right after K-Class.
Speaking of joyful escapism, yes, I'm aware of the fact that my, one of my choices this week isn't that deep. But um, no, huge fan of that. I DJed at a wedding in April um, up north and there were two of us on. I was on because the groom, I was a friend of the groom and he insisted that I be allowed to do a couple of hours at the beginning. And the venue's DJ played in the evening, who was a delightful man. And he, uh, bless him, was one of those people who, because he did that for a living, listened to people's requests, which I try not to do because I believe that mm. the path to happiness is doing it yourself, although I did play the bride's request because you have to, don't you? But um, but he was asked by someone to play, can you play something we can dance to? <laughs> and he made entirely cor- the correct choice of playing this, which, you know, he, he went down the 90s dance route and then someone else asked for ABBA and th- he just couldn't get a rhythm going. But I thought this was a great choice and told him so at the time um rhythm is a mystery by k class lovely to hear that again yes it's great to hear that she has a wonderful voice doesn't she it's and, brilliant uh, they're still playing summer festivals um, oh great so that's really good there's such a huge uh, we seem to be the sort of the nostalgia era now where 90s dance bands there's loads of pop and mm. 90s dance nostalgia festivals they're that really are sort are. of going around soul to soul played on hastings pier last weekend and were very well received oh, so, yeah. so it's interesting that, yeah. it was great apparently so mm. so yeah that this we seem to be back in this kind of world and also whilst i you know i hate to say it, i was talking to a friend of mine and she said that she had seen soul to soul um she said i last she said well put it this way it's not that it's been a while since i last saw soul to soul but the support act was mc hammer so <laughs> and we worked out that it had in fact been 30 years previously so yes. so if you think about it part of me thinks why have we got these 90s dance nostalgia well because in the same way as in the early 90s, we had early 60s nostalgia yeah, exactly, tours, because yeah. I have a regret to inform us all it was 30 years ago. Now, Jules, we're going to be at odds over this next Uh-oh. subject, I Uh-oh. feel, so stand by. Okay. Oh, God, right. This could be tough. It, it's, a, it's a human trait to romanticise the past, and so it is even <laughs> football results. And you know, many people of my vintage can remember rushing from a football ground um, to reach the car in time for the BBC Sports Report, which begins at 5pm with the full football results um, all through the leagues. Mm-hmm. And also people at home kind of shushed while the football pools coupon was checked. <laughs> yes. Now, the presenter would say, and now here's today's football results read by James Alexander. Yes. And all would be all would be right with the world, certainly. Now, this week, the BBC has announced this results service will be discontinued. And plenty of people in my gener- of my generation um, are up in arms about it. Mm. Now, the thing is, am I joining them? No, I'm not. And I'll uh... explain why. Um, I've mentioned before that radio, British radio, is two decades behind at least, probably more. Mm. We still cut away from shows for traffic and weather. Everybody under 60, maybe everybody under 80, checks the weather on their phone, on and mm. By the time radio catches up with a traffic issue and broadcasts it in a bulletin, the incident is cleared. Similarly, <laughs> the women and men leaving football grounds today already know the scores they're shown on a big screen <laughs> in the grounds or you just check on your phone or if yes. you're at home you've got a zillion other options nobody bothers with the football pools anymore it's telling that the people interviewed in the um many articles this week about the the cutting of the football results the people interviewed about the discontinuation all commenting negatively are mm. all very senior in terms of age. John Motson, mm. 77. Yes, Des Lynham, 79. Yes, 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 Jules, yes. 
they need to get smartphones. <laughs> I mean, I, 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 I somehow knew we'd be here. I, I guess my feeling about this is that, like you say, it is, it is just nostalgia, isn't yes. it? I completely understand. It, it, it takes me back to the glorious olden days where we would go. I would go and watch Hastings play non-league football with my dad, and quite often would be completely ignorant as to what was going around. Not least because if Les that had the pager was at the dentist that day, there was mm. one person in the ground that owned a pager that would occasionally beep. Do you remember those? The little things that you would yes, clip I on do. your waist belt yes. that would be. I'm, I'm currently rereading with great joy and I would recommend by the way Get Her Off the Pitch by Liz Truss which is her story not Liz Truss Lynn Liz Truss, Truss. I always do this Lynn Truss sorry Lynn I, Truss. do you know what I'm just going to bear that and not ask the you grammar lady else. yes the grammar lady Lynn Truss as opposed to Liz Truss possibly our next Prime Minister anyway Lynn Truss wrote this book called Get Her Off the Pitch which talks about her her life of in 1996, she was accidentally basically made a sports correspondent for the Times and spent four years. She was initially asked to cover Euro 96 from the viewpoint of a sort of a non-fan and a, a sort of an ignorant person and ended up spending four years writing about sport unexpectedly, being essentially a middle class woman that wrote radio plays. It was sort of a bit of a joke between two editors, really, but it's, a, it's an excellent book. But she talks very fondly about her pager in it and how she was issued with a special pager for Euro 96 and they were all very excited when England scored in the opening game because the pager finally did something because it hadn't <laughs> done anything before then so so we've, we've gone on the days of pages it's a bit of a shame really but um I feel I mean I feel a little bit like this I guess I feel if it ain't broke don't fix it really and I and I guess my feeling is is that yes this is a, just sort of a nostalgia thing but equally how much is it costing the BBC to do this? How much does it cost to get Charlotte Green to read results out? For, for, it's Charlotte Green, it has been since 2013, mm. to get her to read results out for five minutes. It's not even that, is it? The classified football results. I, I, just, I just feel, do you know what? Why? It's not the collapse of civilization taking it away, but equally... Why does it need to be taken away? Why not just leave it there? I mean, I think my feeling is is just what harm is it doing by keeping it there? Is it is it stopping society progressing by leaving it there? I don't think it is. Is it going to cause the collapse of society by taking it away? Of course it isn't. But I I don't know. I I just feel I feel at the moment that I get that the BBC wants to change and evolve. I understand that. But equally. I mean, I, I, again, my fury about Late Junction will never abate. My my crossness about the gentle can, non-cancelling, cancelling of Arena, i.e. there haven't been, they've never actually cancelled it, but there haven't been any new programmes in that stock for a decade or so. I just feel that the stuff that it does quite well, the stuff that are things that people like, the stuff that it sort of works, why tinker about with them? If it doesn't cost a lot... Why not just leave it there? I don't know. I mean, I, I do get what you're saying, but but equally, I just think, well, if all you're going to do is upset people, is it costing a lot of money? I can't imagine that the, that the classified football results read by Charlotte Green is a big budget affair. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, frankly, no. as much as I like Charlotte Green, is this? It's not in HD, is it? You know, it's it's probably not going to cost a lot. 
No, I mean, this is, this, is, this is very true. I mean, what the BBC is saying, of course, is that they now have the right to broadcast Saturday night football, which starts uh, at 5.30. Yes, fair enough. So it's a time that, element that rather than anything sense. else. But you could put well, it on at a different time anyway. Never mind, yes. I mean, same, on, on a similar field, actually, looking back um, mm. now a couple of years, we had the peculiar situation of a popular show on BBC Radio 2, Simon Mayo, having a co-presenter forced upon yes. him, that, against his wishes, in the guise of the often over-promoted Joe Wiley. And it was a total disaster and ended up with Mayo leaving the station. But was yes. that what the hierarchy at Radio 2 secretly wanted? Because now mm. we have a very similar situation with once again a popular show, Paul O'Grady, Radio yep. 2, being asked to share his slot in bizarre 13-week <sighs> cycles with the comedian, young, much younger comedian, Rob Beckett. As with Mayo, O'Grady has refused to go along with this and is leaving. Fair play. Um, once again, leaving the question hanging, is that what they wanted? Because, Jules, mm. it's my guess. I'm saying this is part of the BBC's extraordinary obsession with gaining ever younger audiences and to mm. hell with anyone over 50 years old. Dump successful presenters who favour, say, 70s music yeah. for the you know, the Rob Beckett and Sarah Cox, who will, like Ryland, bring the 90s and 2000s and alienate yes. the existing older demographic. Well, I think Sarah Cox has done a slightly better job, I think, of of, of kind of stating different audiences. Also, again, sorry to introduce the timeline of time into proceedings, but Sarah Cox's initial sort of... Um, BBC Radio 2 thing, where she used to do Sounds of the 80s. Mm. Now, of course, the 80s... I, I hate to point this out, just after the 70s and before the 90s <laughs> and the 2000s. Are they now? I'm so, okay. I'm so sorry, Sadie. I'm just, I'm just here to, you know, to help you learn about the world. So, um, you know, thank you for not patronising me, Juliet. Yeah, so, um, so, but but in all seriousness, I'm inclined to agree. And the thing that, that Radio 2 doesn't seem to quite understand, and I think that the BBC are getting themselves into a little bit of a mess with their radio stations in sort of which radio station serves who and of course six music and i know we often i often talk about six music but i think it's worth mentioning here i often describe i often me and my friends often describe that six music as the holding pain in that it serves people like me very well who radio one are quite clear that they don't want me now radio no, one no, used to be the people in yeah, exactly. It used to be Radio One used meant was meant to be for eighteen to thirty four, and I remember about ten years ago saying to my friend, "I know it was about I was thirty, and I said, why don't I like anything on Radio One?" And she of a similar age said, "They don't want us," and mm. and I think she's exactly right. Occasionally, I flick on to Radio One. I like some of the presenters. Clara Ampho is excellent, and there are people that 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 work well on it. But Six Music, I treat as being. The holding pen for people like me who are now apparently too old for Radio One, but don't necessarily want, you know, sing something simple on Radio Two on a Sunday <laughs> night. I mean, R.I.P. etc. But um, but but and, and you know, want to listen to music that is a bit alternative, that is not, you know. And actually, although as much as I like seventies rock, and indeed do a show myself that leans heavily on the seventies, don't necessarily want that. And so so six music serves that audience very well i think and i think that 
Radio 2 therefore has the space to have to cater to slightly older people, to have sort of older presenters on it. They do have some of the younger, maybe Six Music is too alternative. Maybe Radio 2 does need to serve the less alternative people of that age. Hence why Trevor Nelson does the Soul Show now, former Radio 1, Sarah Cox is there. Joe Wiley, of course, formerly a Radio 1, a former Radio 1 um, lunchtime person, evening session person with Lamac. All the all that kind of stuff. And I just think that if you're going to make Radio 2 younger, you're surely going to impinge on Six Music's remit. Is this another backdoor way of cutting Six Music? No, they'd be mad to. Let's not forget, of course, they tried to cut Six Music and then discovered in the process of doing that that it wasn't that nobody listened, nobody wanted to listen to it. It's just they didn't promote it properly. It doubled its audience in the section during which... <coughs> sorry excuse me they tried to cancel it and of course lauren laverne now six music's poster girl is someone that the bbc use all the time on things so so i find this i find it sneaky like you say this idea i think it's really wimpish actually trying to force people out like you say by imp- imposing co-presenters on them look if you want to get rid of them and cancel their show just cancel the show they Steve Wright took it very gracefully. They did it more graciously with Steve Wright, I think. I don't remember them forcing people on him. They And, and I, I understand that certain shows can't go on forever and ever. I do understand the need for change over time before things become stale. For what it's worth, there are certain people on Six Music who I think should have been eased out and haven't. But having said that, the, the snide and underhand way in which it is done is 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 really maddening, actually, and really rude and really unkind. Paul O'Grady's show again. Who is it harming? It's still good. It's on on it's on on Sunday evenings. He's got such a brilliant rapport with his audience. I don't often listen to it. Whatever I do, no, him no. and Malcolm, the producer, usually make me laugh. I don't see his show as being dissimilar to Lisa Tarbuck's on sun, on Saturday evenings, which is excellent because they, they are people that know how to talk to people. And I think that is such a thing that not many other places do, actually. And I, and I think the BBC is often really bad at recognising its own strengths. And also, with the in, continuing political climate, it's increasingly afraid of its own shadow. And those two things combining together are resulting in some really bad decision making which I think will turn out to although they're trying to sort of defend themselves from problems it may cause them more problems in the long run I think because it will stop it from being good Oh, you're absolutely right. I mean, they seem to handle these changes so badly. I mean, um, appallingly, so examples. on every level, uh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I was thinking of um, Tony Blackburn in recent yes. years, you know, the way they've treated him in, uh, over a couple of issues, absolutely disgraceful. He must be Agreed. looking over his shoulder, by the way, despite oh, his massive think, popularity. Oh, you yeah. But if, it's an, if it is an age issue in terms of audience, if it is, they should just say so. And yeah. I... I was just thinking as you were speaking there, why don't they just change, if if that is it, change the whole format in one swoop like American radio stations do. They stop being, for example, um, Christian rock at yeah. 11.59 and become yes. all the hits 90s at yes. noon. Yeah, just be brave. If that's what it is, just be brave and just revolutionise the thing. This piecemeal chipping away exactly. at people is just is so I bad. Completely, I completely agree. And actually... 
And, and then that that's a really good point because it then raises the question what you're trying to do with this station. Because I, I'm thinking of the parallel example. I know they're a commercial enterprise, but ab, the Absolute Group now mm. have. I mean, they keep. Sometimes they come and go, but mm. there are different stations. There's an apps. There was Absolute 80s, Absolute 90s, Capital Gold, all that kind of stuff that do different things. And I think at some point the BBC is going to have to ask itself about these different stations. How generalist can a radio station be nowadays? Because, of course, the idea is, is that they don't they have some specialist. And again, the chipping away of the specialist shows on Radio 2 did it a great disservice. I think it used to have really good specialist shows in the evenings. Um, I'm thinking of Shake, Rattle and Roll with Mark Lamar and, and the various things he did. The Jules Holland program that he used to do. And they'd have the sort of the, the evening bits, which were really good. And it, they still do have some specialist shows shows but it seems to be you know the daytime shows are meant to be specialist aren't they in terms of the music and you feel like saying is that going to work though or, or or does that still work or 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 do you is it a better idea to make shows a bit more themed like you say to say oh this time is you know 70s disco with whoever mm. in the morning and then Sarah Cox's 80s and then and then whatever is that a better way of doing it I don't know or or, or do we do we lose something from that and, and is it better to treat music as a generalist thing rather than endlessly sort it into subgenres I don't know and of course, the old adage by trying to ple- appeal to everyone, yes. they please no one. Very uh, true. Um, yes. Coming right up, we mm. say cheerio to Olivia Newton-John, Lamont Dozier, and Raymond Briggs. Mm. That's right after this new track from the Fiends.
consistently strong newish band from Scarborough. Mm. Uh, this is a single release this year. The Fiends and all worked out. Uh, thank you for having your finger on every pulse for me, Satie, because I was not familiar with this and enjoyed this very much. Once again, Hot on the Heels of enjoying your new band last week. So uh, <laughs> thank you very much for adopting the Juliet Harris role on this podcast. Not sure what I'm bringing now, but nonetheless, happy to be along for the ride. Oh, well, we're saying cheerio to a few renowned people mm, this we week. Are. Sad to say Raymond Briggs died mm. earlier this week. Um, perhaps not a common, not, not a name too well known outside the UK. But no, I'm, true. I know you have an emotional connection, Jules. I do. And actually, also an emotional connection to you via this, because writing about The Snowman, which was a book written by Raymond Briggs that was adapted into a much-loved TV adaptation, an animated adaptation over here in the UK, originally in 1982. So I, my first memories of watching this, and this amongst my first memories of TV were watching The Snowman as a child, which would have been in the later on in the 1980s. And it, it it seems to it has such a, a cultural place in British life. I think that's that's fair to say. Um, and writing about that was the first one of the first blogs I ever wrote. That was the first piece that was picked up by the Rocking Vicar and the first way in which I encountered you, Sir T. So actually, in a way, it's history all... was made. Or alternatively, this is all Raymond Briggs's fault, depending yeah. on what your what your view is. But yes, he he um, based in Sussex. Lots of his work is based around Sussex. Um, I, I yeah, and, and as a Sussex person myself, he's one of ours really. Um, I um, he was a, a very sort of so a friend of mine who's a journalist had interviewed him a couple of times and actually been to visit him at his home, and she ended up making an unscheduled appearance referred to in the Times Literary Supplement this week. Um, I had a message of her that read, cited in the Times Literary Supplement. Raymond Briggs was once asked by the journalist Emma Chaplin whether she could reveal his address. Yes, Briggs replied. I don't think there will be hordes of fans throwing knickers at my windows, do you? <laughs> so he was a very dry, quite grumpy man, um, but wasn't really. I think that was a persona he adopted. Mm. But he wrote some amazing work. And actually, as well as his much-loved books for children, Fungus the Bogeyman was another one that, that I always found that gross as a child because I've always been a wimp and always will be. But lots of my friends are very mm. fond of that. He did a number of um, number of, of, of animations. He was sort of the king of the king of Christmas kids to TV for a while I think there were lots of his adaptations Father Christmas also memory good he also wrote some very interesting books for older people um Ethan and Ernest the sort of story of people based on his parents was was glorious but the thing that people seem to be mentioning a lot is when the wind blows mm. which was his rather Indeed. frightening study of, of you know very relevant to nuclear potentially nuclear Britain in the 80s so so a very talented man that produced some work that I think will, will live on for a very long time I was sad to hear of his passing. Yes, well, my main memory of Raymond Briggs' work is exactly what you just mm. mentioned, a more stark one, his an yes. his animated film, Where the Wind Blows. It scared the living daylights yes. out of me in the mid-80s when we really thought we were yes. going to be wiped out by Russian nuclear weapons, Absolutely. which is all too familiar again, sadly. But, well, isn't uh, it quite? I mean, yes, and, it, and also all the more shocking for being animated, I think, as yes, well. Uh, possibly yeah. even more affecting than Threads, which is scary enough if you've mm. seen it. But yeah, really, and that's really clever, I think. Uh, yes, an incredible animator and storyteller. In in the mid-1970s, every girl I knew from maybe 10 years old to 30 mm. years old all rushed to the cinema to see Grease at yes. least once. Yes. And some returned multiple times, including my own little sister. Mm. Um, Olivia Newton-John's depiction mm. of Sandy 
in uh, this, the summer romance. Retrospectively, of course, there's plenty to be concerned about in the script of Greece. Yes, it has um, not aged terribly well. I saw it a few years ago and it's not it's not good. That shouldn't take away, I suppose, from Olivia Newton-John's versatility. Also shown in a career, it went through, uh, I think it went through three stages. Mm. I was thinking about this, three stages of Olivia Newton-John. Firstly, the girl next door, um, singer turning up on BBC middle of the road shows with Cliff Richard appearing in the Eurovision Song Contest. Then the transformation in the Grease movie from goody-goody to raucous uh, spandex-wearing Sandy. Followed in turn by the unlikely but hugely successful transformation to sensual gym girl and pin-up with the single and album physical. It was a oh, career. What jewels. a banger. That's incredible, that song. What a tune. I, I suppose the success in Greece would be that would be the peak, but yes, mm. what a career. Absolutely. And Xanadu as well, let's Xanadu, not forget. Course, so and also, I, I hadn't, well, I hadn't really been aware that she'd been that she'd been poorly. Really, I don't know why. I, I mean, I, I very much like Olivia Newton-John, like you say, and her uh, or Olivia Neutron Bomb, as she was known, mm. and her um, and her, like you say, her incredible versatility, her incredible spirit as well. The fact that she seemed to be a nice person, everyone always seemed to speak yes. well of her, and the influence that she had. I saw other. It was repeated a little. I think it might be last mm. Christmas. It was repeated, or possibly the Christmas before in the kind of BBCs we really have made nothing quick let's get everything out the cupboard kind of kind of time and they got this um rather lovely little program I can't of course much to make but it was really rather sweet it was a, a Kylie Minogue and um, O'Leary and they were in a cinema somewhere in London the electric cinema I think and they took Kylie Minogue to an empty cinema with Dermot O'Leary this doesn't sound good but stick with me and mm. showed her sort of a high it was a bit like this is your life but with nobody else there and they showed her all the these sort of clips from her her life really and it was lovely to see her reacting to footage of her as Charlene from Neighbours and all that kind of stuff and what struck with me stuck with me and struck me from it was her talking about what a hero Olivia Newton-John was to her and how much it meant to her the first time she met her and and ONJ's approval was a was a sort of a big deal for her I hadn't realized that she'd been poorly with breast cancer for the best part of 30 years I mean that is just jaw-dropping isn't it really and yet she seemed to just get on with being a very humane and caring person a very talented person I'm sorry that she that she was unwell for so long but the stuff from the 70s and the 80s, don't you say? The, the sexual politics of Greece haven't aged terribly well, no. it has to be said. But her performance main, remains fantastic. The songs are great from Greece. For me, the biggest issue with Greece is some of the dialogue. I don't have any issue with the songs, which is still fabulous. Exactly. And, um, and you know, it just there, there, I saw a lovely sequence of photos of her and John Travolta in the back of a car together recreating their scene from Greece in the poster from Greece years and years later and I always think that you know if people keep the same people in their lives for a very very long time they must be decent people in the showbiz world that's my view so so R.I.P. O.N.J. the legend that is Olivia Newton-John of course back in the 60s and 70s there was of course no internet and no social media and Mm. there was a general lack of information but when you knew the latest Motown single was being released if you if you saw in 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 brackets below the title of the song Holland Dozier Holland wow you were guaranteed (laughs) a corker um 
Lamont, uh, uh, Lamont Dozier died this week. What a legacy, the soundtrack to my and millions of others' youth. Now, if we read out the discography of singles <laughs> alone, we'd have to double the length of, of this entire thing. So um, I was just going to give three quick examples. Baby Love, Reach Out, I'll Be There, Band of Gold, though there are dozens and dozens more. It is, it's absolutely crazy, isn't it? 25 it's... number one hit singles, Jules. Not a bad life's, life's work. It's really, <laughs> I mean, it's hilarious, isn't it, really? I mean, like you say, if you think about it, what did, you know, all of the stuff that they that they wrote, did they, were they capable of writing losers? Probably not, I feel. I mean, they, they created, between the three of them, they created a body of work that will live forever, surely. I can't mm. imagine a time where Motown music is is anything other than timeless and anything other than totally loved the, the poss- i mean motown was was uh, there were other sort of teams around motown as well i think it's worth saying the motown sound um sort of had had other sort of songwriting teams around it um holland dozier holland i think were probably seen as the sort of the a team when it came down to it having said that you also had Norman Whitfield, um, Mickey Stevenson, Smokey Robinson, Barrett Strong, Ashwin Simpson, Frank Wilson, Pamela Sawyer and Gloria Jones, uh, Stevie Wonder, all of those incredible talents. And I think it goes to show just how talented Holland Dozier Holland were, that they still stand above the rest of those that that set of songwriters, uh, even though if you picked any it's just mind but I mean it boggles my mind to think about Motown to think that if you picked songwriters out of that list just on their own you'd think they'd have a shot of being the best songwriter of all time and yet all of those teams were operating around Motown at that time but Holland Dozier Holland for me really were the Premier League of the Premier League of the sort of the, the songwriting trio if you want some more Holland Dozier Holland tracks the three that you came up with were uh, were terrific how sweet it is to be loved by you mm. also there's and you just you could just pick individual songs out of their out of their kind of things and uh, and 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 then they turn up to be the best songs ever it's it's really really incredible i think i mean there just aren't the words to talk about how good they are really and how good he was i think it says a lot about the lasting appeal of uh holland as holland that in 1966-67 when all the top pop bands were turning towards psychedelia and more deeper meaningful music it was never despite all that it was never ever at the time considered uncool to continue to love and enjoy Motown music there was such joy in those Mm. Motown singles and I think to bring such upbeat emotions to people it's just such a wonderful legacy to have isn't it isn't it it's the music of happiness isn't mm. it it's the music of the music of joy like you say um it's it, it, like you say it never became uncool maybe mm. to to borrow lexicon from our much loved sport of the footballs uh form is temporary class is permanent and yes. and this is just you know this is never anything other than classy music and maybe the fact that it's endured is the fact that ironically for music that brings such joy to people i don't think it was ever designed to please anyone if you see what i mean it was always done on its own terms it never it never really evolved in the sense that it didn't think oh well maybe this won't be cool anymore and we ought to change and do something else and maybe just by just by staying its own its its own sort of way plotting its own course taking its own path that old phrase if you don't follow fashion fashion will eventually follow you mm. and i think that people find 
the steadfastness of Motown very appealing I think I know I certainly do the fact that it just is what it is I think is terrific I mean I you know I will never stop being a huge fan I mean you know what why try and be cool when when you can just write sugar pie honey bunch I can't help myself <laughs> and just do that and then rather <laughs> and then rather sort of um rather sort of trollingly maybe they invented trolling Holland Dozier Holland because they did then come up with it's the same old song as the follow-up which sounds exactly like sugar pie honey bunch so it's so huge i mean just what can you say that hasn't already been said if you want a nice little run by the way of songs that they wrote mm. um th- a run of three in a row there's a ghost in my house by ardine taylor followed by i'm a road runner by junior walker and the rules the all-stars followed by this old heart of mine is weak for you by the isaac good, brothers good. that was that was a run of three exactly. songs that they had um and then the, and then you know and then decided they would do My World is Empty by Without You Like It by the Supremes. I mean, just, you know, just even if everything wasn't always, uh, you know, wasn't always a huge hit, you'd think they were doing this for three years and you think, oh, maybe they've already peaked by this point. Maybe, you know, you can't stay at the top of your thing forever. And then they come out with, you can't hurry, love, reach out, I'll be there and you keep me hanging on. And you just think, you know, you just, think, you just feel like saying, to, just stop, stop. This isn't fair for anyone. Let someone else have a go, you know, this isn't fair. How can anybody be this good? It's just, it's, it's, you know, we, it's just, you know, I just keep reading this list and thinking, you know, oh my, oh my goodness, you know, it's, it's just, I mean, you would say that the peak, the peak was, you know, the 60s. Having said that, you'd think, oh, well, the 60s are over now, you know, maybe they'll stop being good. 1970, give me just a little more time, my chairman Mm. and the board, you know, it's, it's chairman of the board. It's, I just, you know, they, perhaps they weren't, are operating at that level for very long but in a way they were sort of like the Beatles really we had eight years of them being the best ever and then they just sort of stopped and you think well yeah fair play you know it's it's yeah I could sit here and talk forever about about every single song that they wrote and how much I love it it's it's just the contribution will live forever won't it exactly so Thanks very much for listening this week. Good to have you along. As always, thanks for thanks for enjoying Terence and putting up with me. I very much appreciate it. Incredibly hot temperatures forecast for this weekend mm. in the UK, but Juliet will cool you down with her radio show. Absolutely. All you need to do is hop on my virtual yacht from 7 to 9pm on noiseboxradio.com, the internet station, 7 to 9 Sunday evening, smooth sailing, where we'll board chart, of course, through the relaxing yet also uplifting waters of yacht rock, smooth pop, AOR, MOR, easy listening. Nothing that is going to require you to move too much in this heat, but will make it, I hope, much easier to bear. And finally, back to Lamont Dozier. Yes, I and you know this is the the level of quality broadcasting which we like to bring you, dear listeners and consumers of our podcast. A song that is not only relevant to Holland, um, Dozier Holland, but also relevant to the temperatures which we are experiencing. It's almost like you know, it's it's almost like we do this regularly. Um, the absolute banger for Martha Reeves and her Vandellas. This is a tune that always seems to bring excitement. When I used to play this out live DJing, even in December, this was always greeted with great cheer because it's just, it, it creates, what can I say? It creates its own temperature around it. It's such a burst of joy. Um, even if you're not experiencing great joy in these temperatures, which I do understand, I hope you will experience great joy listening to Heatwave.
listening to a Parish Council production. <laughs> <laughs>